Guys, welcome to this. <laughs> every time. I'm going to do the same every time. Guys, welcome to this bonus episode of Pop Kitchen. Don't forget, we post full episodes of the show every single Wednesday. But today, it's Friday, mm. and we're going to be talking about a lot of your Barbenheimer emails that yes. have been sent in. We've got so many, and so many of them are so great. We called out for them, so we want to read them yes. out and go through while everyone's still seeing it, has Selena, it's fresh in the, uh, in the frontal lobes. But in the meantime, George... Yeah, but before we do that, we just also wanted to talk about two films that I've now seen yes. that you reviewed earlier this year because we like to report back don't yeah. we, when we catch up on stuff. So I've actually seen Women Talking nice. and Rye Lane. Yeah. And I've watched them both this weekend. I thought I'd just briefly yeah. do it a little bit now. You can revisit James's review on the channel if you yeah, want. Please go and check and I realise I'm bringing up films that came out like five months ago. So for some, yeah. f- some people, it might not be that fresh, but people might have seen it in the meantime. I will say a lot of people I've spoken to haven't seen Women Talking and mm. not a lot of people have seen Rye Lane. So that's because Rye Lane is on Disney Plus yeah. and Women Talking is not uh, is readily I don't available. know where it's at, yeah. So I'll... I'll, I'll so I, it's interesting. So I had women talking on my list for a long time yeah. because I, I wanted to see it at the time. I, I only had one opportunity to go see it at the cinema and I missed it. And um, you had gone and given it such high praise. And, you know, again, as we know, women talking, it's about these sort of specific community where sexual violence is very prevalent. And these women in a 48-hour window have a t- t- chance to meet and discuss the future of their faith in this um, sort of um, group. And you've got Jesse Buckley, you've got Ben Whishaw, you've got Claire Foy, uh, Rooney Mara, Frances McDormand, basically a cameo yeah. in, in, in a film that she produces. I understand why. I'm like, I see you've just... Uh, Get your name up. in together. But the in smallest that. part, uh, not only that she's ever played, but also like a big name on, on the poster to yes, only have yeah. really, really... Which is like the four... four, it's four I actually forgot the that she, but there's a, the, the, she's not in the film for most of it. I actually forgot she was in it when yeah. she sort of re- reappears. Um, but it's nice to have an actor of that caliber just sort of like hanging yes. out in the background. Absolutely. Um, and the whole film is, you know, set in this discussion together. And um, I was like, okay, I need, I need to make time for this. So, mm. right, Friday, I'm going to watch it. We're going to do it. Nice. Um, I don't feel the same as you, yeah. actually. And I know you're a really big fan of it. I, I'll be honest, when I watched it, I thought this isn't connecting with me really? as much wow. as I'd okay. hoped. And... If I was being kind, I would say to maybe I was tired. Um, I mean, the, we watched it as a three. Uh, my flatmate fell asleep. Yeah. I felt felt tired watching it, but Anna really enjoyed it. Right. Okay. And I was kind of conflicted because what I found was that the subject matter is so interesting and it's mm. so dark and it's so terrible, but, but really, really dramatically interesting. Yeah. You've got amazing performers doing amazing performances but ultimately i couldn't help but find when i watched it that i it never i I think it remained quite inert and quite dramatically turgid actually for me really wow okay and i when i was watching it i was like i actually not only is this quite stagey i think i would really prefer this to be a i prefer to see this as a play sure yeah so things like the whale it's all or even one like, mostly one room yeah, one in the roof location. of the barn and take like the whale or like good luck to you leo grand which like whatever people feel about those films when i watched those films i never thought i didn't want to be watching the cinematic portrayal of that i never thought i'd actually like with the whale i never thought i'd actually rather just watch this on stage i was like right, no, yeah. i'm happy to be in there up close on brendan fraser's sweaty face yeah but i just quite quickly i thought 
oh, I'd actually would love to have these performances and these characters breathe on stage a bit more. And I actually thought I would get a much better sense of who these individual people were on stage. And, and there were moments that I was like, that's a stage direction. I was like, I can see how that would be on stage. Yeah. Um, even though it's not actually directed from a play, it's, it's adapted from a, a novel or a, 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 a nonfiction piece. Of yeah, it's a true story. Um, and um, so that was my first thing. And uh, I, I couldn't break into the sort of the deeper like character things that were happening. And unfortunately, I, again, I will concede, maybe I had a bad first viewing with it. Maybe right. I was not in the right frame of yeah. mind to watch it. But there was a couple of times when I was like, oh, I'm really just not with, I'm not following... Wow. I'm not following what they're saying. I'm yeah. not engaging. They're talking oh, wow. about really, really That's like opposite to what I know. I they're, they're talking it's about really, really interesting, important stuff. Yeah, and it was just kind of bouncing off of me, and wow. I, and and in a way that I was, it's a real shame. Um, and I kind of lost my my feeling with it, and it. it it's funny because I, I, I would you know, lose I that in a yeah. play. I, I it wouldn't keep me in a play. I'd oh like, really? God, I, 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 wanted, I wanted to have these. If it was in a play, I could these women could get up, move around, have more dramatic moments. I think to really, but I kind of the the dialogue is so kind of squashed together, and and it's a meeting at the end of the day. It's always going to be a slightly uphill battle. It's very intense. It's very. It's also very literally murky and dark to look at. Yeah, the the grading and everything is very drab. and I and I feel really bad because I I the, the subject matter is really interesting and it would and you know sometimes really interesting horrible violent subject matter would come up and I just felt like oh why am I not clicking with this more um, and I think I think maybe that's it I think the the story inherently is really interesting but I felt like just the presentation of it I it just didn't work for me just did, yeah. just, just didn't work for me and it's a shame because I really wanted to agree with you and say oh what a, what a great piece but I never was able to break through to me like like the idea of watching it on stage would, would tie me out like I wouldn't mm. it wouldn't work for me especially if it was one of those dark black box style things mm. I'd be like oh this is draining on but as a film I found a like incredible performances but the way in which I thought it's yes it is very stagey and it's very blocked but I found the way it's shot women in space and the way it used to cut away to the other spaces which they shared and when it did break away and use cinematic flair I need more to express breakaway. itself I needed more I, thought it was really I wanted good. to see more of the wider community and the women yeah. in the context of that and it's, I, it's weird because it's purposefully vague as a film yes, about its setting that. and I think it's, it's, you get it's not really set any period of time probably a few, years, a few decades ago but it doesn't yeah. need to really specify so I don't think it wants to really escape that and it's more about I, self-determination I think it's I, yeah and I, I got quite sad of it of the film where I was like subject matter this vital mm. and a film like this which is so vital to be made I'm so mm. I was really you know I completely champion the fact that you've got a great female-led cast female written female directed really important vital work that I just wasn't <laughs> vibrant's not the wrong word it wasn't uh dynamic yeah maybe maybe that mm. it never never lifted off the page to me it felt wow. be like, it did feel like being in a meeting and it's not because i don't find the subject matter Fine, interesting yeah. it, it it felt like being stuck in a dark room mm. and just didn't lift and, and 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 it was a shame so the longer it went on the less i was able to sort of connect with it but i don't want to again i don't want to labor it too much because i'm fully open to the facts like with all films yeah i saw it in cinema like a like a private curzon screening basically what it felt yeah, like and that i might have been really, good. like swamped up in it and, and maybe i needed to again but no, it's, not, it's not valid so oh, you didn't see it properly i think therefore. again it's just no. a bit of taste so i i, I you know i rate it and i respect parts yeah. of it but i just think i never got that kind of I, I realized about half an hour in, I was like, oh, this isn't going to be a film mm. that I thought it was going to be where I was going to like really 
fall in love with it and, and yeah. be taken with it. I was more observational. So, like, so I went in, like, heard, had heard good things that had been nominated. So I was like aware it was going to be good. And then I didn't really know much about it other than it was going to be pretty dark and intense. And then I remember thinking, this is covering a lot. And I was like, oh my God, this did like, I remember like Claire Foy's moment I thought was really powerful and that really like, hit me. Mm. And I thought Ben Whishaw was doing, I think he does a lot of films, but like, oh, he's I so, thought, he's, he was very good. He's just so good at it. And like what he, like just his assessment of masculinity I thought was really complex and interesting. And then mm. the moment towards the end, I just was mm. like, whoa, that was intense. And yeah, I, I do. I would like, John, it's like Talia watched it on a plane and she, I remember she was like wiping tear away. And I was yeah. like, oh, if it works on a plane. Yeah. It's yeah and I, I, that's the thing. I'm I'm open to because there were flashes of brilliance in it where yeah. I really liked. And you agree? I agree when he's talking about the, the children. And he's like, well, they're at a funny age at thirteen. It's a conversation I've never really heard. They don't have before. the brain development to do yeah. this. They do that, and um, so the potential of uh, violence between family and a community is to be assessed. Mm. It's such a really weird and interesting thing to talk about when they're yeah. trying to realize, like, what do we do with boys in our community? So I'm yeah, I'm not writing off the film. It's more that just on my first viewing of it, yeah. I actually. Uh, was surprised at how I didn't. Mm. And I actually have, when I've looked around and I've spoken to some other people, other people do, are actually on my level. Yeah. More, I thought more, I was surprised to find more people on my level than on your level. Yeah. I actually thought that it, I was the, an anomaly, but I've actually found a couple of people who found it a little bit similarly yeah. uncertain. But that's that. That's women talking. Okay? Nice. But, you know, respect and everything. And then we watched Rye Lane the next day. And Rye Lane, you know, an 80 minute long movie that you mm. reviewed. And I heard very, you know, very broadly positive things about yeah. it. People say, oh, Rye Lane, that's really lovely. And yesterday there was, I would say, a biblical rain shower in London. Yeah, it it really was really torrential, horrible rain. And I thought, let's... Um, Put on the most colourful movie yeah. we could find. Uh, I, I, I loved Rye Lane. Yeah. I thought it was really, really good, actually. And it really took me by surprise. And you mentioned in the main episode this week about how you, you after seeing Gran Turismo, you really wanted something that wasn't studio-sanctioned <laughs> yeah. and has its own voice and has its that. And I'm like, Rye Lane is exactly that. Mm. I really felt like I was watching just its own voice. It's, uh, from the beginning, it was like, here's, we have a set style, we have a mm. set vision, and we're gonna and we're gonna go with it. It was inventive, and I thought it was witty. It was funny. It was mm. playful. It wasn't. Uh, it never got for me. Never got ridiculously silly or ridiculously stupid. You know, there are a couple of there are a couple of bits of hijinks which yeah. happen in films, but I actually felt like it still managed to keep that on an even keel. Yeah, these characters work so well. It's shot in such an interesting way as so well. The the big bold fisheye lens yeah. and the bright colors, and it's so affectionate and it's nice. And I think this is partly the reason behind it. It wanted to be a love letter to South London and it also wanted to present, you know, multicultural London, black London in a way mm. that isn't about urban, gritty yeah. and, and you know, scornful and, and negative. It's actually yeah. Or about like uh, poverty or crime, which is very typical. Well, exactly. Of, yeah. These guys, both characters are like, they're happy in their, well, you know, they, they, they have career aspirations and they've got a good job. Yeah. Or, and it's just, and it was really, really refreshing. I realized it i think it has one of the best cameos won't spoil it yeah one of the best cameos i've seen in a long time yeah. it really really made me laugh and it wasn't just oh. like oh look at this it, i was like on a deeper level that cameo works for so many reasons it's like all about how it knows exactly where it's come from it's yeah. passing on the baton from one yeah. generation to another yeah. it's really really smart but i also it. thought it was a comment on well i don't want to say that's on that kind of person i just thought ah oh, it's like that's that's a good, yeah. really good one it really really made really me laugh good. actually um i i loved it I, I i straight away i thought this is so refreshing mm. and so different and new and like it's not trying to reinvent the wheel it is a romantic comedy but it's just done in its own style and, and in mm. its own way I, I i was really surprised about it now 
it could be that I, I had ex- I'd gone into women talking with a big amount of expectation mm. and I'd wanted to make that a good film I enjoyed. Yeah. Y Lane, I went in with, I wasn't expecting I, I that. really liked it, but I wasn't yeah. like glowing. Well, exactly, yeah. I was, I wasn't, ex- I wasn't expecting to be so knocked over by mm. it. Also, I mean, this is just contextual. Before I watched Women Talking, it was a Friday night and we had just had a big roast dinner. <laughs> you, know, you all fell asleep. Anna didn't fall asleep. Yeah. I, that could explain why I was sleepy. And again, I hold my hand up and say, I'm, I'm, opening, I'm open yeah. to the fact that I can watch Women Talking again. It might be might be more yeah, responsive, yeah. which is probably what I need to do. Whereas with Ryan Lane, in the morning, I'd gone to a flotation tank, um, you know, <laughs> spa yeah. and had a, an hour-long flotation tank therapy thing. You were just all was, And I felt amazing afterwards. <laughs> so I'm willing to accept that my experience of both films might have been tempered really by, is, yeah. by what had happened outside of the world of the film, like all films are. Yeah. Um, but I, I. What did Anna, a woman, think of women talking? She really liked it. Yeah. I, I, I'm not I, trying to imply that you were mad at No, I'm also aware of the fact that I, you know, it's. Uh, women talking. That's not, I'm not no, making no, no, a valid no, no, point there. I, I I'm just women curious. talking does not need a man, another man, to come along and yeah, go, yeah. No, I don't think this film works because of that. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, you know, I think it would make a really interesting double bill with Barbie. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Self determination. Uh, <laughs> so true. Completely different color aesthetic. Yeah. But, yeah. but also about a very specific. If you took, talk about like Barbie Land yeah. and this very tight community and the way that. Oh, yeah. I, I think it's, it's the thing about women talking is that it's, it's interesting conversations really given the time and the space to be played out, which is what I really yeah. value for it. I hadn't really seen a film to unpack something from that scenario in, a, in like that in a really long time. And I, yes, yes, the staging is, sorry, the blocking can be stagey, but I think like it's, it's use of that and how it dials people in is really meant to make you see these women mm. as a group and as individual voices with different concerns and sort of put yeah, you in I, there. But I don't, I never, I actually, it's the, I almost thought the opposite. Again, yeah. tempered by my exterior factors, but like right. I almost felt the opposite. You're saying it's really sharp, but I just yeah. almost felt it a, a bit dull. Right, time, okay. like a dull knife, because I couldn't with all the all the women talking together. I would have liked more distinction. I I never got a true sense of yes. I got like okay, that person's pro, that person's anti, that person wants to do this. I would have liked. I I yeah I I was I felt a little bit more thuddingly. It was right. again dramatically very interesting, but just. Not a bit lifeless, a bit lifeless in its presentation. Actually, that's what mm. I think it is. It it was lifeless, dramatically exciting, but a bit lifeless for me. Mm. Sorry. It's hard when it's hard. Like my girlfriend of... did say to me, she was like, "Yes, you did feel sleepy, but you probably would have not have felt sleepy if you were more engaged." Which is uh, like, you know, if it was more, deep. if it was a more exciting, she just, and I, she just walked out the room. I'm not saying it needed to be a car. I'm not saying there needed to be a car chase halfway through, <laughs> yeah. or then it needed to be Barbie, but yeah. Um, but I, anyway, whatever. I will. There are. I don't need to. No, you don't need to defend your opinion. But Rye Lane as well. I. I. I really like, and I do encourage people to seek that out because yeah. it's a very. It's like a very easy win for yeah. a film. It's eighty minutes long. It's very accessible. I think anyone can watch that. And I think you will. Even if you don't really, I, mean, um, I, I loved it. But I think you will most most people will just happily enjoy. I it. I said it will really uplift you watching it. Yeah, you'll, you'll leave the you'll leave the cinema slash your television just feeling yeah. like, oh what a lovely little heartwarming 80 minutes i've had and then Great. also the fact that it's a debut film yeah and it's pulled off so well i never felt it like it was derivative either i never felt no. like oh here's a bit of before sunrise no. or here's you a can bit see of the elements of um like uh peep uh, peep show a little bit like fleabag yeah and, um yeah 
obviously the other one that I said. Chewing I can't gum, remember. maybe? No, I'm not saying that, but yeah. Anyway, but, um, so those two films, I, I, uh, an interesting reception to both. Well, guys, if you've managed to catch up on those or you are inspired to go and check them out, please do and send us your thoughts to hello at popkitchenpodcast.com. But, George, before we end our bonus, well, we're going to start a lot of our bonus. We're going to go through some Barbenheimer emails. We're going to start with... Do you want to go first? Sure. We this, will start with... Matthew says, Hi, guys. Me again. <laughs> I'm going into the last month of my master's now, working on a large-scale orchestral work and I hope to get it performed in the future. Matthew wrote in before, I believe, when we talked about tar and about the use yes. of classical music. Yes, and, I remember that. Uh, Matthew says, Initial talks are underway and look promising. Fingers crossed. I missed out on IMAX tickets for the, IMAX, IMAX tickets for the opening weekend of, Bar- of Oppenheimer, but even in a standard screening, the Trinity test and subsequent psychological portrayals of or Oppenheimer's fears mm-hmm. were unbelievably exhilarating, and I haven't been seen anything quite like it. It felt like a culmination of Nolan's work and experimentation across his filmography. That's an interesting take. Mm-hmm. The silence of the explosion during the docking scene from Interstellar being used here again for the Trinity test, and the opening of the Prestige having a different meaning upon a second rewatch, etc. Having listened to your non-spoiler review, I agree with what George had to say. I almost felt like the music was too constant, but I do wonder whether this was Nolan's way of keeping the story moving. But as the social network proved, music doesn't need to run through, uh, doesn't need to run throughout to achieve this. That being said, the music was incredible, and what a talent Lucas Ludwig Göransson is. I didn't have a problem with it throughout. I quite liked it, but it was more that the pacing thing, and and also that you once you've pitched at that level, how do you? In, in, it's, if, it's, you, if you keep something constant, then how do you invite nuance in that? From the Trinity test, it rolls straight into Straussgate, oh, which right. is like, it's a separate story. And there's almost this sense of like, this is the same, but it's different. Mm-hmm. But like, I'm actually tackling a very different subject matter. Uh, sorry, interesting, just on the comment on, um, you know, the prestige and like first shot and mm-hmm. last shot. Like the first shot of the film is rain falling on a puddle with ripples spreading across the entire mm. surface. And the final shot of the film is either Oppenheimer's is, face. There'll be spoilers in this one. Yeah, yeah. And the final shot of the film, which is either Oppenheimer's face, but it's the ripples it's the of fire, fire across, spreading yeah. across the earth. And you could, like, the, the idea and the fear of what of happens. cause and effect. And, and cause yeah. and effect. And the, the mm. corresponding science research done to affect the earth. And it's quite nice. And then the second shot is, like, Oppenheimer's face, like, staring at the ripples. What? Like, what am I seeing? Matthew goes on to say, as my composer brain never really switches off, I noticed something rather cool and was confirmed by a musician on TikTok with Goranson's score for Oppenheimer, which you might find really interesting. Ludwig repeatedly uses a musical technique called metric modulation, where the rhythmic center of the music pivots into different values. Essentially, an established rhythm can subdivide and recognize its pulse into smaller and greater values. This is like Nolan has written this email in a way. Um, Here, because not... Here, because not all the instruments pivot, it creates a sort of auditory illusion for the music, gradually becoming faster and faster when in reality it is, under the, it is the underpinning rhythm changing over and over. I noticed it more prominently at the beginning of the film with the montage leading up to him going to America and thought this might be the music symbolizing the process of a chain reaction becoming more energetic nice. while they were experimenting, but also a chain reaction of his ideas and the creativity that he has during the early years of his life as he begins to fear what the future may hold for humanity. Apologies for a rather long email. Hope it is legible. Trying to explain music over email is something I hope to leave in my COVID eclipsed music degree days. Best, Matt, in brackets, the film music correspondent. 
I was just about to say, bless you, using music. I love that we have like yeah. professional composers, yeah. and we know uh, he's legit because in his email signature, he has his last name with the O replaced with a musical clef. A treble clef. Because yeah. Ellie's got a c- composer conductor. Yeah. Yeah, love that. I love someone that's, to write in and comment on something I wouldn't have picked that, up. What on. a really great detail to pull out. I mean, obviously. I, I, I got more stuff to look out for. I'm really looking forward to my second viewing to pick up on, on that. Thank you, Matthew, the musical correspondent. This next one is from Kai, who writes into hellopopkitchenpodcast.com, friend of the show. Friend of the show. says, hi, James and George. Super long, so feel free to ignore. Well, here we are. So I love Barbie, and after re-watching it, I can safely say it's my favourite film of the year. Oh, I was not at all surprised to see the usual suspects criticise the film for its man-hating, in inverted commas. I was, however, surprised to see some feminist friends disappointed in the film for the lack of equality and intersectionality in Barbie Land by the time the credits rolled. Not to do the whole Godfather bit where I mansplain the meaning, but allow me to mansplain the meaning to address this actual valid criticism the film has received. In my opinion, this film is about how art imitates life and vice versa in regards to women on screen and in art told through the hero's journey. The conflict with stereotypical Barbie is if she is A, an imitation of society's idealization of the female form, or B, a form that creates an ideal for women to live up to. For example, Sasha roasts Barbie for being a sexist fascist that hurt women because of how she represented every ideal women of how she represented every ideal women are wrongly held to on the other hand everything barbie thinks and feels is meant to in some way be influenced by gloria's thoughts and feelings in the real world barbie becomes sad depressed and existential because of gloria's real world feelings and how barbie looks is down to her female character all of her identity is a creation of society it's a contradiction how can barbie be at fault for representing everything women hate when barbie the character the product in the film is a female creation barbie goes through every step of the hero's journey but like frodo at the end of lord of the rings decides she is no longer content to live in the world she knows not because Barbie I it has changed. Oh, sorry. Not because Barbie it has changed, but because she has. She is now a woman, a living embodiment of the contradiction between the influences of life and art. She's a thing mm. that exists from society, but also something that influences it, like every depiction of women in art since the dawn of time. Barbie Land being a utopia by the end of the film would deny the cycle of life, art, and imitation. Barbie Land has changed because the woman who created it changed it by visiting it, which wouldn't be possible without them first creating it after being influenced by other depictions of women and so on. Right. Barbie, um, and this is true of the Kens as well, who imitate Beach Ken after he learns to imitate real world men. Those real world men being reflections of this masculine portrayals in media, such as Ryan Gosling in Drive. So even the casting is important to this message and makes the whole I'm literally him meme to another level. What do you guys think i hope you stuck with me through that i just love this film and think it's worth analyzing and defending from criticism both unfair and valid feel free to not read this on the show as it is super long just wanted to get the thoughts out there thanks boys and keep up the great work kai i mean if i may like that i think what you've written is all is great and i i see it now you've said it but this this is where i think the film finds trouble in that it is addressing all of that and it's like the rules of well if barbie land is the ultimate thing then how does that relate and it, it comes an awful lot to cover by the time you get to the end. And you're like, have we solved everything? What mm. did that mean? All of that is great. Mm. But that's a lot to try and cover in its runtime. Because seeing it again last night... Is any of that post-rationalised, though? Could be. Seeing it last night when we were in the... Spoilers. When, when Barbie is in like the infinite white uh, yeah. void and she's speaking to Ruth Handler, that dialogue start, I was tuning out of it. Mm. Even still trying to re-understand it, I'm like, this is all just um, mishmash, mashed potato waffle between realms. Mm. She's going to, for some reason, not be a plastic doll and have genitalia in the real world, and it's just fine, but Barbie Land is untouched. So conversations in search of an ending. Kind of. It's, it's a, I can read into loads of it, but does it matter? Mm. It's a lot. 
Thank you, Kai, for that Kai, email. Thank you for that email. Uh, in-depth take. This next email is from Guy, who says, from Kai to Guy. Um, this next email is from Guy, who says, hello, sirs, long-time listener, first-time contributor. Thank you. Having instead, sorry, having listened to your review of Oppenheimer, I wanted to offer some alternative views on areas you spoke about. Firstly, on George's feelings of the information being thick and unrelenting throughout, I found this on reflection to provide a deeper layer of understanding and empathy to Oppenheimer. As in to say, his being cursed with genius and clearly having to constantly reconcile all the information and perspectives we, we held as his journey developed. The early stages of the film being fast-paced with physics and science and developing with more cultural ideologies through to post-Trinity tests when his mind was clearly wrought with the repercussions of his actions and how he could attempt to atone, perhaps. This amount of information and ideas forces, as James alluded to, the audience to hold on to it, hold on to a lot throughout the film, ensuring some sympathy with Oppenheimer's genius. Secondly, to follow, I really enjoy films with this level of information and pace as it pushes my ability to absorb, assimilate, and understand information in real time mm. through a changing landscape. I feel Nolan's films have developed this theme, with The Prestige being a more simple yet fun example of this, then with Inception being, a, being where a lot of people that I've discussed it with that film with feel at the edge of perhaps their ability to hold on to the structure, information, yeah. and story. And more recently with Tenet, where for perhaps a large proportion of the general audience struggling to hold this together, even with subsequent viewings. Lastly, with James's comments on Nolan being not able to understand people, I think I said, I think that. said that. Yeah, I found these moments shot in color to be driven. I found the moments shot in color to be driven by Nolan's perspective of Oppenheimer's perspective, as in Oppenheimer being at times less emotionally aware of, less emotionally aware or available, and therefore struggling in these human moments of his life. As always, an amazing episode and one that I was very much looking forward to after having seen the film. Sirens on our end. Yours, Guy, sent via working from home. And he is actually left his entire work, work email boy, uh, yeah, work, from a um, very big company. Recognizable. Yeah. That's a good. Yeah, yeah Guy, smashing Prestigious it. Prestigious list. With a very long job title. I like it. A um, work email. Just I'm, in, I'm, in the I'm the vice president of so-and-so. Yeah. I'm in mergers and acquisitions. Not yeah. what it says, but just very funny. No. Um, that is, uh, you know, I think what I like about right, reading these emails and I liked about are reviewed and doing that episode is that is having this conversation because um it's developed and i've only seen the film once still and it has given me more and more to think about and enjoy and look forward to when i go into the mm. the, the next viewing and um like i said before you you we, we we reviewed it on the show and then we had all this correspondence and then we had the discussion yeah. which has digested and further thought over what i saw so in a way it's kind of aged my review a little bit um I, 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 I inherently love an idea of the film, of a film, of a director wanting to get, believe the audience is smart enough to give them this information mm. and, to, and to carry us along. I, I, I like that and respecting the intelligence. I think Barbie also respects the intelligence of its audience. It's just that I meant, it's more than just information intelligence. It's like about, I want to see, it's like emotion. Take, we mentioned the social network in the, in the main episode, right? Mm. This week. And to understand that character and to understand that scenario, there are moments of, of just cinema where it's just, there is no music or dialogue or anything. It's just yeah. observational or, okay, this is music, but like the, the whole ending of that film, I really feel like I was able to understand refreshing the page. more intuitively. It wasn't just telling me all the time about stuff that was happening. Mm. It was telling me through the language of cinema, different ways. But but it was that the stuff, the growth of Facebook in the in a social network is not told in detail. It's no. implied growth by like, oh, he's in a bigger office yes. now, and like, oh, he's he's now like living in Silicon Valley with people. There's never Whereas, like yeah. we move, we have to grow, we have to buy the office. It's like it's the character drama between the portrayal of yeah. Saverin and and, and uh, Zuckerberg. I feel like Nolan is like this like Leviathan that wants to devour 
devour all of the information and process it. Not in a problematic way. It's just a different way of doing stuff. It's like Nolan, like you're just mentioning his other films, he is often on the edge of comprehension. Yeah. And that's like, and at its best, it's wonderful. And yeah. it's it, it, when you when you finally understand what he's doing, it's so fun to go back and unpick what you saw. Mm. Like even in Interstellar, a film which I love when you describe the events of the third act, you're oh, like, yeah. that is a lot. And like, you, and but, nonsense. But it's like the, the emotional side of it and like the shock factor of realizing where he gets at the end of that film is enough that you're mm. like, this is still really gripping. But yeah, like with Tenet, too much. Mm. Inception, right on the edge. Yeah. Oppenheimer, right on the edge. And then a little bit yeah. because of its runtime and how much amazing detail it tries to yeah. give you. It just sometimes it's confusing. It's, yeah. two, it's two stories told simultaneously and that's what's really hard about it. <laughs> Thank you for your email, Guy. This next one is from Megan. He says, hello, James and George. Love the show. And I've been catching up on past episodes so much, I can already guarantee that your podcast will be in my end-of-year Spotify wrap-up. Nice. I recently went to go see Barbie and absolutely loved it. It was much funnier than I expected, with a quippy voiceover at times giving asides on discontinued Barbies. I did like those, mm. like the, the Sugar Daddy Ken. Yeah, yeah, with, yeah. Um, yeah. What's his face? Rob Ryder. Rob Ryder was really funny. And like the pregnant Midge. Midge, like, yeah. Oh my God. Every time she, she was there, like, oh my God. I thought we discontinued <laughs> the, the boobs that grew, yeah, yeah. the babies that Velcroed yeah. to the top. <laughs> um, I really appreciated the commitment of the cast to their characters. Ryan, Ryan Gosling especially impressed me with his brilliant performance. I thought that the speech America Ferreira's character gave towards the end of the movie to inspire stereotypical Barbie was brilliant and thought that it was more impactful than it was delivered by someone most well-known for playing a character called Ugly Betty, mm. hoping to get the chance to see Oppenheimer sometime this week. Uh, all the best from Cornwall, Megan. This next email is from Anna Rood, who says, hello, James and George, your future friend of the show here, all the way from India. Oh, nice. Great. Even though I haven't discovered you guys on TikTok, as that app is banned in my country. Is it? Oh, oh Instagram. We have a lot of um, people from in South Asia uh, tune into our Instagram. Instagram reels. A lot of the, like, the third and fourth oh, uh, well, yes. demographic is often India, Sri Lanka, Pakistan. Um, uh, I've lost my foot. Uh, I've watched every single episode episode of yours. Thank you. Nice. A huge fan of your pod. You guys remembered me. You guys reminded me how much I love films and TV and it rekindled my passion for the same. So keep up the great work. Thank you so nice. much. I highly respect both of your individualistic opinions and unique takes. The same applies to both of your review of Oppenheimer as well, which I found very interesting. I'm not sure whether it's because I was a student of engineering in college or whether I watched it with subtitles, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. Subtitles. Just key, big. key. <laughs> yes, it is a sensory overload with bombardment of information which can get quite overwhelming, but it is also one of the most refreshing iterations of the biopic with all of Nolan's prowess in full display. Non-linear narrative, great use of sound and breathtaking visuals. I think that's a great way of putting it. It is a refreshing iteration of the biopic. I, 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 mm. I think that's true. Something I found fascinating in your review was that you found some scenes unnecessary and felt that they didn't add to much. One thing we all know and should not forget about is that Nolan, there is nothing there without a clear purpose. Fair enough. Number one, from what I understand as the movie progressed is that the colour portions are all from Oppenheimer's perspective, things which he has seen and where he is present. The black and white ones are ones from Strauss's. Yes, I, I got yeah. that. Op, referring to him as Oppie here, Oppie is not present in any of these scenes. The fact that the script, famously written in Oppie's perspective in first person, further adds to this possibility. Two, the character of Gene Tatlock, that's Florence Pugh's character, was essential in Oppie's life and played a crucial role in, in his downward spiral emotionally and mentally. In addition to Oppenheimer feeling guilty and having blood on his hands, him feeling indirectly, respons indirectly responsible for her death might also be the reason for him not to actively fight for his rights. It's also, I suppose, a nice parallel between him feeling 
indirectly responsible for her death and indirectly responsible for the deaths later caused by the bomb as well. Mm. But it's, it's certain like ways in which that you're using that character is, is utilised. Like when he go, runs off into the forest and is crying in a bush and yeah. Emily Blunt finds him, I'm like, why, why is he here? Like yeah. I get what's just happened, but it felt out of place in a weird way to communicate that emotion. Yeah. Um, it is touched upon here and there in the movie as well as that he's punishing himself for all of his deeds. Richard Feynman, played by Jack Quaid, is the only person in history believed to have directly looked at the explosion of the Trinity test. Yeah, uh, yeah, okay. Um, this is what is alluded to in the movie as well, because he's the one who says, he sits behind the car and he says, I don't need the glasses on. Yeah. yeah. The movie has also so many nods to scientists and historical facts like this sprinkled here and there, in addition to being, the, it's in addition to being like the Avengers of scientists, yeah. Bohr, Einstein, Heisenberg, etc., all coming Matt out Damon's of our- Nick Fury. Yeah. <laughs> all coming out of our textbooks and finally onto the screen. I hope the above, uh, I hope the, uh, the above mentioned will all help you appreciate the movie more. Um, apologies for the lengthy email. Take care, lads. Not sent from an iPhone, as I don't possess one. Anna Rood. Just on that about um, the Jack Quaid thing, like I get that, and I, I'm, I'm being told now that that's a that's a famous historical yeah. anecdote. I still don't. I still think it's out of place in a way. But yeah. I, I guess from Nolan's you needed to it's do, like, oh, I'll add that. Yeah, but that's my know. point. It's like yes, you can. I saw a review that said like Nolan crams in information like it, like a person in an exam trying to get yeah. as many marks as possible and i'm like yeah you and can the gap in the last page yeah like writing yeah this lines. is a great yeah. little great little anecdote but you yeah. also don't think then return to it and I, I just think it's distracting i've said this a million times i believe all of Nolan's stuff makes yes. sense on yeah. paper oh, yeah, totally. I, I, I don't think it's inaccurate and i think all of it links yeah. and i think tenet works exactly backwards as it does forwards yeah. it doesn't mean it's easy to follow yeah and every scene that happens makes sense uh, well, emotionally and literally similar. this next one is from mateo who says dear george and james i hope you're doing well i'll keep this short i've been listening to your podcast for a few months now and it's always a pleasure hearing you chat about oppenheimer made me think of how brilliant hiroshima monomore by alan resne is which i saw last week contrary to nolan resne makes use of documentary images and videos as well as reenactments of the horrific artifacts of the atomic bomb i've not watched oppenheimer yet but what a great companion to a film it would make i thought take care and Kindest regards, Matteo from a small island of Malta. Oh, good to have Maltese correspondent. Okay, guys, thank you so much for sending in your Barbenheimer correspondence there. We've rattled through it. And I know we've talked about the films in very sort of in-depth detail and lots, lots of great stuff there. Lots, lots of, of great, great stuff. It goes to show that these films are so interesting. There's so much, so many layers to them to really unpick. I think it's, uh, yeah, one of the most interesting things that have, has happened in movies and cinema this year mm. and in recent years. So I'm really glad that we've been able to continue to discuss this moment and it's more interesting for us to uh, for these films to not be perfect not that they ever could be but to sort of get a better understanding of what does and doesn't work about these mm. these styles these writing styles these directing styles yeah and it's been made for very interesting conversation which i'm glad we've had yeah but yeah guys as always thank you so much for joining us in this bonus episode don't forget we post full episodes numbered episodes of the show every single wednesday so check those out if you haven't already yes that's right and continue to follow us and uh give us your support on social media and subscribe and like and and share the word and say, yay, well done, <laughs> comment, clapping, and Send all this your stuff. emails to hello at popkitchenpodcast.com. Yeah, and we'll see you in the main episode next, see you next week. week. Bye.